Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 120, an iPhone turning point. Hi, I'm Neil. Later this year, Apple will unveil a 6.5-inch screen that runs iOS. A few years ago, we would assume that this new device would be part of the iPad family. We could think of it maybe as a different kind of iPad mini. However, in 2018, Apple is about to unveil a new member of the iPhone family. In fact, a 6.5-inch screen iPhone will be one of the largest smartphones available in the market. That dramatic change in strategy over the past couple years intrigued me. And it led to this week's article over at AboveAvila.com, the iPhone's turning point. Once Apple was willing to let go of its existing viewpoint regarding iPhones, and iPads, how we will use both of them. Once Apple Manager realized the iPad mini was probably the wrong bet, I think Apple's iPhone vision became much clearer and much stronger. The iPhone was launched 11 years ago, back in 2007. The iPad was launched eight years ago, back in 2010. In the tech world, that's a long time. And I think what has happened over those years is there's a lot of revisionist history. People look at the iPhone and they go, well, when Apple unveiled that device in 2007, everyone knew it would change the world. Not really. I think the most common reaction to the iPhone in 2007 was indifference. Most people didn't care. It took years for the iPhone to actually hit mainstream. Now, of course, maybe for those people who were in the keynote venue, things were very different. But the iPhone was not viewed as the future of computing. And of course, you can look at Apple competitors at the time. They looked at the iPhone as a toy. The lack of a hard keyboard meant that this device, Apple's clearly not going after the business crowd. This is not a concern for BlackBerry. And then if you look at how people now treat the iPad, there is this attitude that when Apple unveiled iPad, it wasn't that big a deal next to iPhone. It was just going to be a Mac alternative. Well, that's not true either. When Apple unveiled the iPad in 2010, people thought the iPad, not the iPhone, was the future. Go to Google, type in, the iPad's a bigger deal than iPhone, you're going to see some results. People thought that. And I even think some Apple executives thought that. And so since those launches, things have changed. We now know, okay, iPhone sales are multiple times that of iPad. We can see the addressable markets for each product. We can see the install base, the user base for each product. Things have changed. But back in 2007 to 2010, it was a different world. In 2010, the iPad was a rocket ship like nothing Apple had ever seen. A lot of people say they have trouble coming up with a product, thinking up a product that will outsell iPhone. Well, I have a different question. What product will ever outsell the iPad out of the gate? Three million iPads 
were sold in the first 80 days. This is 2010. A device that sold for $499. A device that was in a category that was brand new. And Apple sold 3 million of them in 80 days. And distribution was pretty limited too. And what may even be more remarkable, during the first year on the market, Apple sold 22 million iPads. What I did was I went back and I compared the early iPad sales to early iPhone sales. So I looked at how each product did out of the gate. At the three-year mark, iPad sales outpaced iPhone sales by nearly three times. The iPad made the iPhone look mediocre. This is why some people were thinking the iPad would become a bigger deal than iPhone. It's safe to say we were living in an iPad world in the early 2010s. There were a number of factors behind iPad's very strong sales out of the gate, but I think one of the more obvious reasons was that Apple was very successful in making the case that a device like iPad was needed. Apple positioned iPad as a device that sat between an iPhone and a Mac. Now, what that ended up doing was it elevated iPad at the expense of iPhone and Mac. The iPhone ended up being positioned as this small mobile device that really wasn't great for web browsing, email, consuming photos and videos. Why would you want to do that on a small screen? Meanwhile, Apple positioned the Mac as sort of this heavy beast, this animal that you would clearly not want to use for browsing the web, doing email, watching video. The interesting thing about this period is despite strong iPad sales out of the gate, I think Apple was incredibly worried about iPad. Apple had a lot of anxiety. And much of this fear was born from paranoia around competition. You had a 9.7-inch iPad that retailed for $499 that left a price umbrella. So it's possible maybe some Android manufacturers can undercut Apple with a cheaper and smaller tablet. That was the fear. In fact, Apple was so nervous about 7-inch tablets powered by Android. Steve Jobs made a rare appearance on one of Apple's earnings conference calls to downplay the threat posed by a 7-inch tablet. Some of you may recall how he mentioned you would have to sandpaper your fingers to one quarter their size to use a 7-inch touchscreen. We later found out that during this period, you did have some Apple executives making the case, or at least trying to make the case to Steve, that Apple really should do a smaller iPad. So you could maybe say some of Steve's comments were essentially just posturing to try to elevate a 9.7-inch tablet in the market. However, I think ultimately, it was this fear of cheap Android tablets that pushed Apple to launch iPad Mini in late 2012. The product was a rare defensive move from Apple. However, I do think management saw something intriguing about that 6-inch to 7-inch screen form factor. Maybe some of you still use an iPad mini. There's something clearly there 
However, instead of pursuing that interest with a larger iPhone, Apple saw the iPad as the better suited product. Why? Again, go back to 2010, 2011, 2012. It was increasingly looking like an iPad world. Smartphones were all about mobility. Not a six-inch, seven-inch screen. That thinking turned out to be a mistake. So just as Apple launched the iPad mini, something was brewing in smartphone land. Samsung was grabbing buzz. They were shipping smartphones with larger screens, and it caught Apple's attention. Going back to March 2013, the day before Samsung unveiled its Galaxy S4 in New York City, Apple Senior Vice President of Worldwide Marketing Phil Schiller sat down for an exclusive interview with the Wall Street Journal. He ultimately had one goal, downplay the momentum found with larger smartphones. I found one line from Phil Schiller pretty telling of his motivation here. He said, given the iPhone 5 is so thin and light, the reason that people are making their devices bigger is to get up to the battery life the iPhone 5 offers. So according to Schiller, all of these smartphone manufacturers, they weren't going larger because that would provide a better experience. They were launching larger smartphones simply because they were able to use the additional size to fit a larger battery. Instead, the iPhone 5 and its smaller screen, well, that's all about mobility. That's what you would want with a smartphone. The small screen so you could fit in your pocket, you could hold it in one hand. In reality, Apple was worried. They had just placed a big bet on iPad mini. That product was supposed to prevent Android from gaining share in the tablet space. The problem here is the competition wasn't found with smaller Android tablets. It was found with 5-inch, 6-inch smartphones running Android. And Apple had just launched the 4-inch iPhone 5. So Schiller knew Apple wasn't going to have an adequate answer here for at least another year, probably a year and a half. In essence, Apple was caught flat-footed because they bet on iPad mini. At some point in 2013, Apple made the decision that iPhones had to become larger in a big way. It was not going to cut it just to take the next iPhone, put a little bit of a small step up in screen size, call it a day. No. They needed an answer for what was turning into genuine concerns regarding people being interested, being intrigued by these larger smartphones in Android land. While Apple was likely pushed in that direction by market forces, the realization that they had to make such a move was still extremely crucial for management to make. Apple had to accept the fact that the iPad mini may not have too bright of a future, despite Apple just launching the device. Sales out of the gate were remarkably strong. However, in a world where smartphones got larger, there wasn't going to be as compelling of a use case for a 7.9-inch iPad. 
My theory as to how all of this came together here is that Apple executives were mesmerized by iPad's rocket sales out of the gate. It surprised everyone. It seemed like consumers as a whole would own and use both a smartphone and an iPad. In such a scenario, even if the iPhone had pretty low market share, well, Apple would still be able to sell iPads to Android users, Windows users, BlackBerry users, feature phone users, which there were still plenty of back then. I think Apple really thought that the iPad, there's something here. Even if the iPhone has certain structural issues in the market where it just won't get too much market share, it won't get the type of install base that maybe iPad can get. Now, this outcome was dependent on two things, two factors. iOS had to be the tablet platform of choice for developers. This is why Apple was so concerned about Android tablets entering the low end of the market with, say, 7-inch form factors. It was a big concern. The second thing that had to happen was that smartphone screens had to remain small. If smartphones became larger, that would throw a wrench in Apple's strategy because the iPad would lose quite a bit of its value proposition. Again, go back to that 2010 slide from the initial iPad keynote. That space between a smartphone and a laptop, it would shrink if you had smartphones becoming larger. That would hurt the iPad. So I think Apple had an incentive to keep a sizable screen size differentiation between iPhone and iPad. And that's why Apple downplayed the phablet threat, the large smartphone threat. They dragged their feet in terms of shipping large iPhone screens. If you take a closer look at the New Yorker profile of Johnny Ive, it actually gave us a little bit of a look at how Apple settled on 4.7-inch and 5.5-inch screens with the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. You had to go all the way back to 2011. Apple was testing larger iPhone prototypes with screens ranging from 4 inches all the way to 6 inches. And Apple designers thought that a 5.7-inch screen, that might be the best size for iPhone. That may work for iPhone. However, they kept using it, and they said, no, this, this, isn't, this isn't it. It's too large. It ended up taking another three years from that point for Apple to launch iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. I found that interesting. And then right around this time, when you looked at iPad, it was going bonkers. iPad sales peaked in 2013, 74 million units. According to my estimates, I think the iPad mini played a very big role in establishing that sales peak. In fact, iPad mini sales likely exceeded 35 million units on an annual basis at its high point. The thing is, something doesn't add up here. A few minutes ago, we were saying how Apple was getting concerned about larger smartphones. They were concerned about Samsung getting bus. But then you had iPad sales that were doing really well. The iPad mini was another rocket ship. So that doesn't seem to match. Wouldn't you bet on iPad? Wouldn't you think, well, the answer is iPad mini. It's doing really well. Let's just keep pushing. 
maybe these large smartphones, that's not the future. That's not the trend. Apple came to the realization that the most formidable competition was found with large smartphones, not smaller tablets. And that realization pushed Apple. That was the turning point for iPhone. The company was no longer hesitant to run with larger iPhones, even if it meant weaker iPad fundamentals weren't too far behind. And then you saw iPhone 6. And you saw iPhone 6 Plus. I think the 6 Plus was that phone that really told us, okay, Apple is taking large smartphones seriously. They didn't just come out with a 4.7-inch iPhone. They came out with a 5.5-inch iPhone. It was a very big difference, too. And it was popular. Jump ahead a few years, and we now see Apple becoming extremely aggressive with larger iPhones. A 6.5-inch screen iPhone will launch less than a year after iPhone X, which has a 5.8-inch screen. Can you imagine Apple shipping a 6.5-inch iPhone during the early iPad years? I think such a device would have decimated Apple's iPad strategy. Over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article, Exhibit 2, I graphed iPad unit sales over time, and I split the sales up according to screen size. So these are my estimates. And I had 7.9-inch screens in red, and the 9.7, 10.9, 12.9-inch screens in blue. And what I wanted to do was see how did iPad mini sales do over time? Looking at the chart, I think it's pretty clear. Larger smartphones have negatively impacted iPad mini sales in a very big way. Apple knew that would happen by betting on larger smartphones. And we now see the iPad strategy, well, it's, it's changed. Apple is now moving towards larger screens. The iPad mini is basically left to just kind of go out into the sunset. There's not a place for iPad mini in a world that Apple is headed towards, in a world where we have 6.5-inch iPhones available. Apple is comfortable seeding a much larger portion of the market to iPhone at the expense of iPad. And I think this has led to a much stronger iPhone franchise. Whereas five years ago, Phil Schiller went to the Wall Street Journal to try to take some of the attention away from Samsung's big keynote, look what happened this past week. Samsung unveiled its latest flagship smartphones. I doubt Apple even blinked an eye. Apple removed Samsung's key advantage when they began shipping larger iPhones in 2014. The iPhone versus Samsung dynamic, it's never been the same since. There were a number of lessons that we can get from this situation. And I actually think each one is as important as the other, so there's no order here. The first, cannibalization is okay. Cannibalizing a product is okay as long as you are the one doing the cannibalizing. I don't think Apple regrets doing the iPad mini. I don't think they look at that device and say, oh yeah, that was a mistake. 
Well, no. Instead, they look at the situation and they say, well, we came up with larger smartphones. And if those ended up impacting iPad mini sales, so be it. I think when a lot of people talk about cannibalizing a product, they think it's an easy decision. They look at a product and they say, well, it's not selling well. Let's come up with another product that will surpass it. In reality, it's the opposite. The product that will ultimately be cannibalized will probably have really good sales. It will seem to have a bright future. For Apple, the thought of severely damaging iPad mini wasn't easy. Because again, as we just said, the iPad mini, it was the best-selling iPad size out of the gate. It would be the equivalent of Apple giving wireless AirPods health and fitness monitoring, even if that meant Apple Watch would be permanently impacted as a result. However, in the case of iPhone versus iPad, Apple found itself with a much stronger iPhone business as a result of cannibalizing a portion of the iPad line. The second lesson has to do with admitting mistakes and embracing change. There continues to be this attitude that Apple doesn't make mistakes and instead the company has to possess the right strategy out of the gate in order to be a winner. In reality, I think the opposite is true. I think it's going to be rare that Apple launches a product that is perfect out of the gate or even close to being perfect. It has the right features. The marketing connects with people. No. Apple is willing to admit to mistakes and then make the needed changes to get back on course. We have seen this time and time again. We can look at Apple Watch. We can look at large smartphones. So Apple's decision to set aside iPad cannibalization fears and launch these larger iPhones, it fundamentally changed both the iPhone and iPad businesses. This is why when you go back to the early 2010s, it was a different world. Apple was using a different strategy. It may seem like everything just kind of played itself out naturally, but I think Apple had to make some very important, some very difficult decisions to get to where we are today. I think the same thing is going to apply in wearables. It's going to apply with Apple Watch. The day Apple launches some type of smart glasses, you're going to have this situation where it may look like something one day, one year. Go out a couple quarters, go out a couple years, you're probably going to have to see a lot of change. Apple will need to adapt in a way to the market. That's okay for Apple. The much more important thing is that they are able to adapt, that they are able to see what is taking place and respond in a timely fashion. This brings us to the third lesson, getting rid of dogma. For Apple, throwing away the dogma that smartphones derived their value from small screens was crucial in uncapping iPhone's potential. I actually think we are still underestimating the trend known as large smartphones. If you take a look at the iPhone Plus, started with the 6, and then you had a couple years after that. Apple has been seeing growing momentum with that form factor. 
The iPhone 8 Plus is the best-selling 5.5-inch iPhone relative to its 4.7-inch sibling. So the trend is clearly larger, even today. And I think it's actually going to probably continue. I think it's going to grow. When you take a look at iPhone 10 sales in 2018, Apple's going to sell tens of millions of a 5.8-inch iPhone. And when you look at this 6.5-inch iPhone, which we can think of it as a large iPhone 10, it's probably going to outsell an iPad mini, despite having a price tag that's four times higher. Ultimately, the iPad mini's demise at the hand of larger iPhones led Apple to view the iPhone and the iPad as siblings on the same computing spectrum. So you no longer had this situation where you had the iPhone on one hand, and then while well, the iPad's trying to fit in the middle between that and the Mac, no. Instead, put them on the same computing spectrum. Give smartphones, allow smartphones the opportunity to possess increasingly large screens. Meanwhile, take a look at what's going on with the iPad business. 10.5-inch screens, 12.9-inch screens. Is the addressable market for those devices as large as, say, an iPad mini or a 9.7-inch iPad a couple years ago? Maybe not. But I don't think that's the important point. Instead, does a 10.5-inch iPad, a 12.9-inch iPad, does that give the iPad a clearer future, a clearer path forward in a world where we are using larger smartphones, where people may not want to buy a smartphone and a tablet, but just a smartphone? I think the answer is yes. I think Apple has made a lot of good decisions in embracing this iPad Pro move, where you're not just taking an iPhone, running with a slightly larger screen, calling it an iPad. Instead, you're looking at iOS computing on a spectrum, and you're saying, well, how can we use these really, really large screens in a slightly different way versus a large iPhone? When Apple launches a 6.5-inch iPhone later this year, it's going to be a big deal, not just for the iPhone business, but for smartphones in general. I think there's a possibility that as we see wearables adoption continue to increase, our views towards larger smartphones, they're going to change. We may be more willing to use a larger smartphone because we also are finding ourselves using wearables. We are giving more tasks to these smaller, more nimble devices. May that world be a bad thing for iPad if everyone's using larger smartphones, larger iPhones? Maybe. But I think Apple is going to be okay with that. And that realization, that acceptance of being open to coming up with new products that push the experience forward, coming up with products that may be, in fact, a taller or better wave to ride than what you're currently finding yourself on, that acceptance is the most important takeaway from this discussion. And I think Apple learned that in having both the iPhone and iPad businesses to juggle. And we may see a similar situation develop now between wearables 
and smartphones. It is this idea or this willingness to embrace change that ultimately play a very big role in Apple's quest to remain relevant in the future. That's going to do it for today's episode. Taking a look at some of the other topics that I wrote about this past week, I went over my estimates for the iPhone install base and user base. This follows last week's episode about the iPhone Goldilocks era. So one way to think about iPhone sales to existing users is to come up with an estimate for how many of those users are out there in the wild. I also went over these three new iPhones that Apple is rumored to be launching later this year. I went over my thoughts on pricing. I think the narrative that's in the press, that these phones are going to have lower prices, Apple is seeing lackluster demand because of high prices, I think that's all wrong. So I went over my estimates for what I think a 6.5-inch iPhone would actually retail for. I also talked about a number of companies this past week that either are Apple competitors or at least playing in similar industries as Apple. So I went over Fitbit's most recent earnings report. How did the company's first genuine smartwatch sell over the holidays? Spoiler, it didn't do well. I went over my estimate for how many smartwatches Fitbit sold. I also took a closer look at Spotify. The company filed to go public this week, so I went over all of the user data that was found in that filing and what I think Spotify's path to profitability looks like. I also talked about Amazon buying Ring. What does it mean for Amazon? Why is Amazon buying Ring? And what is Apple's approach to the home? It seems like some companies are running very quickly in the home, whereas Apple appears to be taking a somewhat more measured approach. All of those preceding topics were found in the daily emails that I sent to above Avalon subscribers this past week. So it was a very busy week. If you're a subscriber, look for them in your inbox. If you're not a subscriber and you would like to read all of those emails, you can become a subscriber. There is an archive, so you can go back and read any topic that you wish. To sign up for an Above Avalon subscription, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the subscribe page. Sign up is very simple. It's either $10 per month or $100 per year. In addition to having access to an archive, subscribers also have access to an exclusive forum. This is a great place for everyone to come together and have an in-depth discussion and debate all about Apple. If you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast and you really like this episode, if you can leave a rating or review for the podcast in Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. It definitely helps introduce Above Avalon to new listeners and readers. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.